Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. I am so thankful what God is doing among the next generation. Uh, We see it happening here. We've seen it in our college ministry. We've seen it again with more students following through in baptism day. I think over the last three weeks, we've seen over 70 students uh, follow through in believers baptism. That's right. To see it happening on a national level, some of you may be aware, but in Kentucky at Asbury University, uh, uh, Wednesday, uh, students showed up for their typical one-hour chapel. I, I went to a private Christian college, and usually you go and you sit and you just bear through it because you have to go to a minimum number of them uh, so you don't get in trouble. And they showed up for chapel that week, and the Spirit of God has fallen on that place. So much so that as of late last night, uh, they were in their 84th straight hour of worship, of confession of sin, of reading of Scripture, and it is simply attested to the Spirit of God has fallen and people want to be a part of it. And, uh, and so I, I pray that you would join in in praying with what God is doing in Kentucky, but you also would pray and ask God, would you send it here? God, would we experience you in such a way that we wouldn't even be able to turn from this place, but we would just long to experience you in the fullness of who you are, and that that would be evidence through your word. It would be evidence through the confession of sin. It would be evidence through people coming to faith in Christ. And so I want you to have a clear understanding today that the Spirit of God is at work, and I want to invite you to be a part of it. Part of joining in that today is in the preaching of God's word and asking the Spirit of God to use his word to transform our lives. Now, we know that this is a big day today, uh, the Super Bowl tonight. In fact, the bigger game is at 1 o'clock, LSU versus South Carolina women's basketball coming. That's right. Did you know the tickets are going for four grand right now to get into that game? It's incredible, incredible, all right? So big game coming, but big game tonight, right? Who in here are you pulling for the Eagles? All right, I'm going to need you to find a new church. I'm just kidding. If you're a guest, I'm a huge Cowboys fan, and there is no team on the face of the earth that I detest more than the Philadelphia Eagles. Who in here loves Jesus and going for the Chiefs? I like it. Those are my people. I love it. How many of you in here are you going to be in bed by halftime? Now we're talking. I love it. I love it. But it is a big game tonight, and it's exciting, all that's going to happen, all that's going to take place. For some people, there's some extra excitement tonight because they put some money on the game. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, all right? But there's some people, they they put money on. In fact, this year, they've said there's going to be a 61% increase of people that will wager on the game tonight over just last year. Over 50 million people will play some amount on the game tonight of who they believe is going to win or who will have the most points after the first quarter, whatever it is they'll do. And they're saying this year, listen to this, that over $16 billion will be wagered on the game tonight. And so at the end of the night, there's going to be some really happy people. There's going to be some really disappointed people. There's going to be some people in trouble with their spouse tonight, isn't there? But at some point tonight, it will become evident of who has gotten the victory. 
It, it may be evident, honestly, in the second quarter tonight. It may be a complete blowout, and the rest of the game is just completely boring. It might be on the final play of the game that there's a field goal that's kicked and one team defeats the other team. It may be that on that last drive of the game, some team just needs one more first down to be able to run out the clock. And once they get that first down, victory will be secured. And here's what they'll do. They'll take the snap and they'll take a knee and they'll just let the clock run. Why? Because they know there is no reason for them to continue to move forward or try to advance the ball because victory has been secured. You see, that's the reality in life oftentimes. Is that when we get to a place and we feel like a victory is secured, we just take a step back. We take it easy. But that's not always the case in life. In fact, sometimes when a victory is secured, it moves you to charge the hill. In fact, we see that in battle. Oftentimes on a battlefield, when an army feels like they have finally gotten over the hump and victory is secured, it provides extra motivation for the troops, and they don't shrink back, they don't take a knee, but because victory is now assured, they run with everything they have. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know the Apostle Paul has been talking about victory. Now his specific title or subject has been on the resurrection of the dead. That just as Christ was risen from the dead, as we see the first part of chapter 15, he's saying in the same way that believers in Christ, that when Jesus returns, that our physical bodies will be raised from the dead. And for those that are still alive, it says that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. The sound of the trumpet. And then last week, we saw the great crescendo of this chapter, one of the greatest passages of all the Bible. That it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But we have won the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We have the victory. The challenge is, as exciting as that passage is, the challenge is, what do we do with that? Well, really, the application is, you don't want to miss it. You better make sure that you're there for it. But today we're going to look at one verse of the Bible. Thank you that nobody said amen, all right? In verse 58, because we're going to see that Paul is going to say, therefore, in light of this victory that has been assured for us in Christ's atoning work on the cross, his burial and his resurrection, therefore, here is what he is calling us to Today, as we look at this verse of Scripture, here's what I hope we're going to walk away with, is that believers are called to stand on the truth and to serve the Lord. Believers are called to stand on the truth and serve the Lord. I want to invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word this morning. For one verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together. Father, today as we come to you, we come, Lord, with hearts so full, knowing that the victory has been won by you. Today, God, regardless of what we faced, regardless of what's in front of us, regardless of the obstacles that seem to overwhelm us, Lord, today, for those that are in Christ, we stand in victory. And God, I pray today that you would use this verse of Scripture 
to help us understand how we should live that out in our daily lives. I pray that you would speak deeply into the depths of our souls in such a way that we walk out of here not with new information, but we walk out of here experiencing the transformation of the Spirit of God in our life. So God, we give you this time. Spirit of God, would you speak? We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Therefore, as I've told you before, whenever we're reading the scriptures, a great part of being a good Bible reader is when we see the word therefore, it's determined what is the therefore, therefore. As I've told you, the scriptures are clear here that we have a victory that is found in Christ. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he comes to the point for those in Corinth to give them some action steps in light of this reality of who we are in Christ and the victory that we have. First thing I want you to see today is that the resurrection compels believers to action. The resurrection compels believers to action. Now, I want you to understand the nature of what's going on. Some of you, this is a reminder. For some of you, this is new information. But Paul, in this letter, is addressing issues that he's become aware of, either through word of mouth or a letter that they have written to Paul. Sometimes I believe that he's, he's answering questions they have. Sometimes I think he's questioning the answers they think they already know. And in this chapter, from the context, we understand that there was disagreement in the church over the nature of the resurrection. Remember, in Greek philosophy and understanding, the death was a, was a gift because it would allow you to be freed from your body with the understanding that you would spend eternity as a disembodied spirit. And that understanding from their culture had seeped into their church, potentially through a core group of people that were teaching this and believing this. And so Paul now gives us chapter 15 to refute that idea. And he begins with the foundation there at the very beginning of the chapter of, listen, the resurrection is central to the gospel itself. Christ died, he was buried. Christ arose and he appeared. It is the key to the gospel, the resurrection, right? And then he goes through this chapter giving this defense and this education on what the resurrection is. And remember, he says that if the resurrection isn't true, then we should be pitied among all people. People should feel sorry for us because we are spending our lives in this way when it is all for nothing. But he says here that in this journey through this chapter, he is now going to come to this place as, as the believers, I think, are, are fickle in their convictions. They're being swayed to and fro like, like a, a ship stranded at sea. It's being pushed around. They're having a hard time really settling in on what they believe. And that was happening here with the resurrection. And so he calls them here, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, we see this warm affection again. These are people that he dearly loves. We've seen him throughout the letter refer to him as his beloved brethren. We know at one point he says, listen, you'll have many pupils in life. You'll have many teachers, but you only have one spiritual father. He was referring to himself and the unique nature of the relationship that he had with them. Going back to Acts chapter 16, where we see that he was the one that was there that founded the church, that led many of them to Christ as he spent a year and a half with them. But now he says three things here. Number one, be steadfast. I want you to be steadfast. The idea here of being steadfast is to be firmly established in one's position or opinions. 
Oftentimes when we hear that word steadfast, we may think of endurance, to not give up. But the idea here is really speaking from a doctrinal standpoint. Almost the idea today for us of a settled conviction in our life. So as they find themselves, even within their church, for sure, in their culture where there is disagreements and misunderstandings about what is true to the gospel, what is true to the faith, he is saying to them, I want you, in light of the victory we have in Christ, I want you to be settled in your conviction. We see a picture of this from Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. The same idea. He says there, Paul, to the, to the church at Colossae, he says, once... You were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. All right, so he's saying you were far from God, and that was expressed, that was evident in your actions. The way that you live reflected what you believed. He says, but now he, God, has reconciled you, or Christ, through his physical body, through his death, to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. This is the gospel, right? We are far from God, separated from him because of Christ and his death. We are now reconciled to God, is seen as holy and faultless and blameless because of the blood of Christ. Look at what he says here, though. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast, there's that word, in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now, the understanding here is not that you could lose your salvation, but he's saying that when we are steadfast, when we have a, a, a rooted conviction in our life, that, that when, when we have that over our lifetime, it gives evidence to the authenticity of our surrender to Christ. So he calls them here to be grounded and to be steadfast in the faith. He's saying in light of the victory that we have in Christ, we are to be firmly established in the truth of the gospel. It's a reminder for us that this message, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it is something that we must have a personal internal conviction about. It means it's not sufficient. For you, that it is my conviction. It's not sufficient for you that it's your parents' conviction. It's not sufficient for you that it is your spouse's conviction. It is to be a firmly established conviction in your life that this is what the gospel is. It is firmly secure in your life. Why is that important? Because you will never live for something that you don't truly believe. You won't. You won't truly live for it. Right? Some of you today are going to pull for the Chiefs because you hate the Eagles. And I love you for that, right? But listen, there is a day that is coming when the Chiefs are going to be terrible again. And some of you have walked in here today and you're wearing Chiefs gear, and that's awesome. I'm glad you're wearing Chiefs gear. But when they go 2 and 16, you're probably not going to be wearing that Chiefs gear. Why? Because it's not an internal conviction that that is your team, right? You won't truly live for something if you don't believe it. When it's beneficial, you'll believe it and you'll live for it. But when it's not, you'll walk away from it. And he's calling them here to be steadfast in the gospel. 
It is firmly established in your life, the death, burial, and resurrection. And hear me, that is important not just for the moment that you surrender to Christ. It is important for you every single day. When you walk into your job and they say, I'm sorry, we don't have a place for you here anymore. The gospel is firmly rooted and that you remember, I'm a child of the king. I'm created in his image. He has redeemed me. He has saved me. My value doesn't come in my job. And just as he provided for my salvation, he is going to provide for me in every step of the way. That gospel is firmly, is firmly secured in my heart and in my life. It helps me walk day by day by day by day because I'm steadfast. It's not something I simply affirm a set of facts. It is a truth that I bend my life to. So be steadfast. And then we see, in a sense, he kind of doubles down on that idea here, not just for them to be steadfast, but to be immovable. Similar idea of being steadfast, but this is with more intensity. This is to be completely immobile and motionless. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, if you have a teenager today, lately you've gone in to wake them up, you open the door, hey, it's time to get up. And what do you see? immovable. <laughs> Nothing. No movement at all, right? Five minutes later, it's time to get up. Immovable. <laughs> Nothing. The, the idea here is not just to have a firmly established conviction of the gospel. It is a commitment to not move from it, regardless of what comes. And here's the truth. No matter how firmly established the gospel is in our life, we still live in a world which tempts us to move off of it. Right? For some of us, we're, we're tempted to move off of the gospel through our experiences. We experience the difficulties of life. We walk through struggles. Maybe it is a job loss. Maybe it is a health diagnosis. Maybe it's a family issue that's taken place. And, and you say, well, God, I've, I've done everything you've asked me to do. I'm teaching this. I'm going to seven Bible studies a week. I'm, I'm being nice to my, to my kids. I'm doing everything right. And now this happens. And, and what's happening is there is that temptation to move off the gospel. God, you're not doing your part. I'm doing mine. You're not doing your part. Life isn't perfect. Life isn't easy. And there's a temptation to move. I think we see the honesty of this challenge in the Psalms. As God gives us, he gifts us these psalms to hear the authentic confession of someone of saying, God, where are you? It seems as if my enemies have overtaken me. They have surrounded me. And yet over and over again, the psalmist, you see that one last verse that says, but God, I will trust in you. I will not be moved. Sometimes we're tempted to move because of our experience. Sometimes we're tempted to move because of our influences. Right? We, we hold tight to our conviction, and what we find is that people that are close in our life, they begin to move on an issue or on a specific doctrine or even on what it means to live out your faith. And, and now you have people in your life that, that are not firmly established. And, and what happens? It can cause you to be tempted to move with them, right? Students, it's not easy to tell your friends no, right? We're going to go do this. We think this is okay. We think this is right. It's not easy to do that, right? There's a temptation to just move. The influence not just of friends, I would even say of faith teachers. 
We have more access to Bible teachers than at any point in history. And in some ways that's incredibly awesome and in some ways that's incredibly dangerous. And listen, I have never stood up here and told you that my theology is God's theology and I've got it all right. But I have told you that my conviction is to understand God's word the best I can and to teach it to his glory. But there are some people that their desire is to teach it for their glory. And they take God's word and they, sh they shift it and shape it to any way that is beneficial to them. And there are people that sit there and eat it up and eat it up and eat it up. And they're moved by it because of a charismatic personality. We're tempted to move through our experiences. We're tempted to move through our influences. We're tempted to move because of our passions. The desires of the flesh. Paul speaks of this man, Demas. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. He's moved. He's moved on from the gospel. Why? Because his flesh had something better to chase, at least he thought. We're tempted to move because of our culture. I don't need to spend a lot of time telling you the direction that our culture is headed. If you watched the Grammys a few weeks ago, they made it very clear, didn't they? Culture that once celebrated a faith, a culture that is now accepting a faith, and a culture that soon will be demeaning faith. I had someone recently tell me, I thought this was so good, of the relationship of the Christian faith in our country today. You may remember when you were in college, for those of you that experienced those years, when you moved into that college dorm or to that apartment, your parents so graciously gave you that hand-me-down couch and you loved it, didn't you? Like you've never had a better nap than that couch, right? And it sat right there in the living room and you were so proud of it. And then you got married and your spouse said, there's no way that couch is coming into our house. You said, okay, well, we don't have to put it in there. Let's put it in this room. We'll put it in the living room. We'll get a nice couch for the living room. We'll put it in this room. And so it makes its way to, the, you know, to maybe the playroom. And then eventually there's a new couch that's bought. And so that couch that one day, one day sat in the living room has now made its way out in the garage. We're not ready to get rid of it. We're just going to put it in the garage and hold on to it. And then at some point you go, why do we still have this couch? And eventually it makes its way to the side of the road, doesn't it? I think you understand today that for the Christian faith in our culture today, the couch is not in the living room anymore. And I don't think it's at the street either. It's somewhere between the playroom and the garage. But we live in a culture that is going to want to push you to move off the core conviction of what the Bible teaches. A culture that will continue to self-worship the celebration of my truth. And if you can't get behind my truth, then that's offensive and you should be canceled. And it will cause you to want to move because you don't want to be offensive to people. You don't want to hurt people's feelings. You're just trying to be a nice person, have a good job, take care of your family, and love Jesus. And it will tempt you to move. Pushed by culture with the continued sexual revolution that's happening. But if you don't fully embrace where our culture is going, you will be persecuted. Some of you already have faced the dilemmas in your workplace where there is an edict that is given from the workplace of you wearing this pin or wearing this shirt or, or, or uh, saying this or whatever, and it has put you in a dilemma. Am I going to move and make this work day a lot easier, or am I going to stand on what the Bible has said and what Christians have believed for over 2,000 years? What does Paul say? Don't move. Now notice here, he doesn't say don't be, or he doesn't say be a jerk about this. For some people, you hear this message, you're like, let's go, preacher. 
Some of you Steelers fans in here, you brought your terrible towel. You go start waving that thing, right? <laughs> Let's go. We ain't going nowhere, right? Listen, don't be a jerk. Man, we of all people should be people that love people and respect people, exhibit incredible kindness. But we don't move off of what we believe. A couple of weeks ago, I'm sorry, earlier this week, I had the opportunity to go on a fishing trip. And my friend was telling me the night before, we were going to be offshore. And he told me the night before, he said, hey, guys, there were a couple of us. He said, guys, I'm just going to tell you, wind's going to be up tomorrow, and it's going to be a little sporty. I said, what? (laughs) It's going to be a little sporty tomorrow. I thought, you got to be kidding me. Tell me what you're saying. It's going to be rough. And I would like to report how it was, but I had so much Dramamine in me, I don't even remember what we did, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I... It was sporty. It was like four foot, five foot swells. I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't stand. I sat down and set a water bottle on the table, and it stood for about three seconds, and it fell over. I mean, that's how much the boat was rocking. And at some points, I had to sit down because that boat was going so much. But at some point, we took that boat and we brought it back to the marina, and they moored that boat. You know what I mean by that? I think we've got a picture of it so you can see it. You'll know what I'm talking about here. They they moored that boat down. They tied it down at multiple places. And so now it wasn't just that we were out in these high seas and the boat's going crazy. It's now that this boat has been completely secured and so it will not move. That's the idea that Paul is pressing here for us. That in our understanding of the gospel, which has been firmly established in our life, and we are not going to move off of it because we know this is the creator of all things and his self-revelation to us about life and about eternity. Don't move. Take a stand like Daniel, who, when he was given the opportunity to reign and rule in King Darius's administration, and yet the administrators and the satraps wanted to Hatch a plan against Daniel because they didn't like him. So they came up with this idea of, hey, we'll go to King Darius and we'll tell him that nobody should pray to any God or about any God or man for the next 30 days. And it tells us in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, that when Daniel learned of the document that had been signed by King Darius, he went to his house. The windows were in the upstairs room open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got on his knees and he prayed and he gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Immovable. Immovable, regardless of the consequences, regardless of what comes. Why? Because the victory is ours. We stand in victory today. It doesn't matter what this world can do to us. Daniel wasn't afraid what King Darius could do to him. Why? Because he knew the maker of all things. And he bowed down to him. Why is this important? Because belief always impacts Behavior. Look at what he says here. Be steadfast, be immovable. Then finally he says here, always excelling in the work of the Lord. This is the idea. When he says always excelling, this means overflowing, outdoing. What? In the work of the Lord. Let me give you some clarity on that. Several years ago, no, long time ago, I was in my early 20s. Um, I had uh, had a long time ago. uh, I had uh, 
I'd gone to this hospital. There was a, there was a kid in, in our ministry that had gotten hurt. And, uh, and, and there was, th- this was a large church and I, I was an intern there. And, and so I wasn't super well known by people, but, but I show up to the hospital. We're in the waiting room and there's an adult man there. And he says, hey, let's pray. All of us in the waiting room, let's pray. And so he said, he, he had a good idea, but he wasn't ready for the follow through because I could tell he started to look around. And he, he wasn't prepared to pray and he didn't know who he was going to get. And all of a sudden we locked eyes. And in that moment, some of you, you've been there before. You make eye contact with someone, and you know they recognize you, but they don't know your name. Been there before? All right? And he looks at me, and he knows that's someone that can pray, but I don't know his name. And with, I don't know, 50 people in the room, he goes, oh, good. We have a man of the cloth right there. (laughs) I thought, what? I'm 23 years old. I ain't no man of the cloth, right? And I could just hear, are you ready to do the Lord's work, right? But here's the reality. I did pray, by the way, and it was good. (laughs) Uh, but, But here's the reality. Oftentimes people think it's the man of the cloth that does the Lord's work. But let me tell you, if you're a pharmacist in here, you do the Lord's work. If you're a pipeliner in here, you do the Lord's work. If you're a carpenter, if you're a student, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you do the Lord's work. We've seen him talk about this earlier in 1 Corinthians. The Spirit of God has given all of us gifts for the edification of the church. It means when we live our lives in an intentional way, God uses it for his glory to make an eternal difference. So the passage here, when it calls us to be excelling, always excelling in the Lord's work. That is a call for you today and the gifts that you have and the places that God has put you, the positions that you have and all those things, you are to be outdoing, overflowing, being about gospel work. What's he saying here? Let me make it real simple for you. In light of the victory that we have in Christ because of the resurrection, he's saying, I want you to be immovable in gospel conviction and I want you to be unrelenting in gospel living. You hear that? Immovable in gospel conviction. This is the gospel. I'm not moving off of it. And unrelenting. You can't stop me from living out my faith everywhere God puts me. Why is that important? Well, it's important because that's what he's called us to. And it's important because we know that it matters. Look at me the last part of this verse. He says, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Understand the resurrection calls us to action, but the resurrection, it gives us purpose and hope. Gives us purpose and hope. He says here, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love this. The word labor here, it's speaking of work, right? We understand that word labor, right? But the word specifically means to work to the point of exhaustion. To work to the point of exhaustion. That you're, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. For Paul, there was an understanding that to be in Christ was to mean to work hard to that end. It was to give yourself to the work of the Lord at that level. I think about tonight, one of those teams is going to hoist the trophy I think, you know, in the last two weeks that these teams have had to prepare for this game tonight, it it is the biggest game of their life. 
I mean, there has never been a more important time for them to, to be preparing, to be as ready to go as that moment when they step on that field. But can you imagine the feeling tonight of, let's just say that the Eagles lose terribly and the Chiefs win and they hoist that trophy and there's a Chiefs player that, re- that he recognizes over the last two weeks, man, I, I didn't give it everything. I didn't watch film when I was supposed to watch film. When I was on the practice field, I didn't give it everything I got. For the rest of his life, he'll recognize, man, we, we hoisted a trophy, but it wasn't because I gave everything. And then you see the guy out there, probably one of the offensive, defensive linemen in the trenches doing the hard work. He has nothing left. It's not just in the minutes that we're running on the clock and him giving everything, but for the last two weeks, really for the entire season, going back to the offseason, he's been everything he got. And so in that moment, the trophy is lifted. There is a greater appreciation. There is a greater understanding. There is a greater glory in knowing I've laid it all on the battlefield. Can I tell you what I don't want for you? I don't want for you when you stand before Jesus face to face, And to know that you didn't lay it all on the field. I don't want that for you. I love you enough as your pastor to say, I don't want you to feel the disappointment in that moment of, I had stuff left in the tank. But I convinced myself that the man of the cloth will do it. I had convinced myself that, you know, I've been doing it the last three or four decades. It's someone else's turn. I'm just going to kind of sail into the sunset. You had more in the tank. I don't want you at that moment to get up and to feel like you had more in the tank because you had convinced yourself that you didn't have the gifts or the skills to do it. No, we labor. We work with all that we have to the point of exhaustion. Whether that's at work in your workplace, whether that's in your home, whether that's in the children's ministry, amen? We got a place for you. We need you. Come on whether that's in student ministry, whether that's in a ministry here in our community, whether that's going on short-term mission trip. Gosh, would we be people that when we stand before the Lord, we stand there in his grace, in righteousness because of the blood of Christ, knowing, man, we laid it all on the field. We gave it all. Why? Because we know it's not in vain. Do you remember that he has said here that if the resurrection isn't true, that this is all in vain? But it's not. We stand in victory today. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive a reward according to his own labor. Paul understood it. My labor is not in vain. When I give myself to the work of the Lord, it's not in vain. Even Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. It's from the master's mouth himself. I'm coming and I'm bringing a reward. Your work is not in vain. Paul says in Philippians 2.16, By holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Listen, if you're here today and you are that person that you're laying it all on the field, you're, you're, man, you're feeling that exhaustion, let me encourage you today, it matters. And you're doing good work. Listen, as a believer in Christ, if you're not exhausted at some level for what you're doing for Christ, I would say you're doing it wrong. Listen, there is importance to find rest in Sabbath, no question. But some of us, we just live in Sabbath. 
And we're not giving ourselves to the work of the Lord. Listen, give yourself to the work of the Lord and know that it's not in vain. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie The Patriot. Familiar with that movie with Mel Gibson? I love um, American Revolution stuff. love the battle aspect of it. I love that story. It's, it's based on a true story. It's not a true story, but based on a true story of this militia, I believe, in South Carolina. He takes these guys, just regular guys, farmers. There's actually a preacher. I love that part. Uh, but these guys, and, and he trains them up, and they begin to pick off the redcoats here and there. But it's coming to a head, and it comes to this battle where the British troops are lined up, Cornwallis is there, and then you have the Continental soldiers, and, 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 and Mel Gibson, his, his character, he convinces the leadership to say, hey, put the militia front and center. Militias were not known to hold the line. It was important to hold the line. They weren't known for doing it, but he said, let us hold the line. Let us hold the line. We can do it. And, and so in this famous scene at the end, they're, they're there, and they're getting shot, and they hold it for a second, and then it starts to break. The militia starts to break. And then this moment for, for Mel Gibson's character, he picks up the flag. Do you remember this? It's a little cheesy. I'm with you. All right. Um, but he starts running into the enemy with the American flag. And all of a sudden, these young 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are running away, all of a sudden they see him run and they turn and they begin to run with him. And all of a sudden in that scene, there is a moment where it becomes evident the victory is theirs. And what do they do? They charge because the victory is theirs. Young man, young lady, senior adult, child in the room. The victory today is yours, not because of you. The victory today is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And today, regardless of what this last week has looked like for you, Regardless of how much you may have strayed in the last couple of months, if you are in Christ, if you are firmly established in the gospel, the victory is yours today. Don't take a knee. Do not take a knee. But let's charge the field. The field that is ripe unto harvest. Jesus said, listen, the workers are few. Students, there are students in your English class, part of your group at dance, students that you walk through the hallways with, they need you to charge the field with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to see it in your life, and they need to hear it from your lips, that God loves them, that he can forgive them, and that they can be made in a right relationship with God. They need to hear it from you and see it from you. Adults in the room. These students should be able to look to us an example of what that looks like. Because in our workplace, we're firmly established in the gospel. We're immovable from what God's word says. And with kindness and with grace and respect and compassion, we are salt and light in the places that God has put us. And we are charging the field one person at a time, just trying to be Jesus to them and tell them that God loves them. And that all sin is a significant problem for them. God has overcome it in his love for them through Christ. Senior adults in the room, keep running. Keep being the pace setters for us that you have been for decades. Don't stop charging the hill. It may look different than when you were 23. 
But at 83, keep charging. Would you bow your heads with me today? Today, I firmly believe that for some in here, you can't say with confidence that the victory is yours. that confidence that there has been that moment in your life when as Mark said about Shepherd being baptized today that there was that moment that he fully surrendered and right now in this moment I told you the victory can be yours not because of you it's all because of Christ and today he offers that gift to you to be forgiven of your sin made in a right relationship with him and to stand in victory. And right now in this moment, I want to invite you in the stillness of this moment, I just want to invite you to respond to him by faith. Simply saying something like, God, I know today that I'm a sinner and that sin separates me from you. But today I'm ready to trust in you, to give my life to you, to turn from my sin, turn from my past and to put my life completely in your hands. God, come into my life and save me, change me. I'm ready to live for you the very best I know how. Some of you today, you need to take this moment and you need to be honest before God and to say, man, I, Lord, I feel like I'm moving. I'm moving off of what should be firmly established in my life, the truth of the gospel. And today, the spirit of God's whispering into your soul of saying, don't move. Trust me. Maybe today for you, you've lately been taking a knee. And your response today is to get up off that knee and to take the hill. Charge the hill with everything you got. Lord, today we are grateful for 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Such a great encouragement, such a great challenge, such a great reminder for us that with you is the victory. And in that victory, we should be firmly established in our convictions and movable in our gospel conviction and unrelenting in our gospel living. Lord, I pray for those today that right now in this moment have said yes to you, surrendered their life to you. We're thankful that you hear their prayers, that you receive them, the promise that you forgive them, and you now call them a child. For the rest of us in here that are already find ourselves today in Christ, I pray, Lord, that roots of the gospel would sink deeper and that our hands and our feet would serve more abundantly, excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work is not in vain. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. 
Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.